Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right. Um, Have you ever had a friend who kind of hurt you? Figured I'd start off with something light, you know, to kind of bring a joyful memory to your mind today. Now, I know the answer is yes, most likely. And there's a good chance on some level, no matter how small or big it might have been, that you have been a friend who hurt another friend at times. You know, maybe it wasn't really treacherous or horrible, but you probably let somebody down. But if you think about it, all the best stories, all the best movies are kind of based around that kind of thing, right? You know, it really makes for a good story when a friend becomes an enemy, right? But you know what actually makes an even better story is when an enemy becomes... Yeah, y'all are with me, right? Um, one of the best examples of that that actually has both in there um, is a movie based off an old book uh, called The Count of Monte Cristo. Anybody ever seen that movie or read that book? Um, it's it's kind of one of those sleeper hits, at least in my opinion. There's a few movies that I can watch over and over and over again, and Count of Monte Cristo is one that I, I, I suggest. Go and check it out. Um, okay, now the preacher's recommended it. I don't think it's got a lot of bad language, so don't be coming, don't come at me, you know, like if it's got crazy stuff. I hadn't seen it in quite a while. But the story is phenomenal because it starts off with this guy, Edmond Dantes, who is this uh, French uh, boat hand, and he becomes promoted to the, the captain of a ship. And his wealthy friend, who he's always been friends with, is so overcome with jealous. He's got this beautiful woman that loves him, and he loves her. And so he thinks he's got everything. And the rich guy's like, why don't I have it? Because I'm supposed to have everything. Why should he have this good life and I don't? And so he sets off this big, big ordeal to be betray his good, good friend, Edmund Dantes. And it, I mean, it's the friend who becomes the enemy. And it's just this really amazing movie, a really amazing story. Well, partway through the story, um, Edmund Dantes, he meets this guy named Jacopo. And Jacopo is, the way that he meets him is he comes up and uh, is, he's a part of a pirate crew. And the head of the pirates, whatever, the captain of the pirates is going to kill Jacopo and they capture or they find Edmund Dantes. And so he says, okay, here's the way that this can happen. You guys have to fight to the death. And it's a really, really neat story. And so they become enemies. They're just thrown into this situation where they're enemies. But Edmund Dantes spares his life and Jacopo becomes his best friend, his best companion. It's such a neat story. And the reason I start off with that is because that's what you see actually in scripture. And what we're going to be talking about today is where people who at one time would have thought themselves enemies actually become friends. And more than that, they become family. And I want us to share about that this morning. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Uh, scripture, of course, will be on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible if you'd like. Acts chapter 10. And we're going to read some of the uh, passages of Scripture there in Acts chapter 10. So beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and made many charitable contributions to the Jewish people. And he prayed to God continually. Lost my place. Where are we at? 
Oh, you are paying attention. Good job. Uh, Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And he looked at him intently and became terrified and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your charitable gifts have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who was called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. So this guy Cornelius, he's a Roman centurion. And right here and right there, if you know anything about the Old Testament and the New Testament, and if you don't, I'll kind of clue you in. The Jewish people absolutely hated Gentiles, but guess who they hated as the most in in Gentiles? The Romans, because the Romans came in and they took them captive like they did most of the known world. And so they absolutely hated the Roman Empire. And so you've got the story starting off with this Roman centurion. So not only is he a Roman, he's also the right arm or the right hand man of the government to enforce punishment on the Jewish people. And so right off the bat, you know, you got a a great opportunity for a story here. So here's where we pick up. So Peter goes to pray about noon, about lunchtime. He goes to pray about lunchtime up on the roof in verse 10. But he became hungry and wanted to eat. Peter is a man after my heart. I, I don't care when I, if, I, if my breakfast gets pushed back, I still want to eat at noon. My, my body's ready. It's a well-oiled machine. Even though it may not look like it, it's a well-oiled machine. At noon, my stomach's going to be grumbling. But he became hungry and he wanted to eat. And while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And on it were all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the sky. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time and said, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken back up into the sky. Look at verse 19 with me. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings for I have sent them myself. Now, right off the bat, this is, you know, this is a a, a unique situation for Peter. You know, this guy, he wasn't a rabbi, you know, he was a fisherman, but he was still a faithful Jewish guy. And so when he sees in this vision, this idea of these unclean animals, and if you go back and you read through the old Testament, God gives lists of different types of animals that are considered unclean for the Jewish people. They had a very, very strict diet. And, and, you know, even modern Jews, if they're Orthodox, they follow similar plans. And so he gets this call, get up, kill and eat. And he's like, he's grasping his pearls, right? I mean, he's like, no way, no way am I going to consider this. He's like, oh, you tried to test me, God, but look, I didn't fall for it. But then he does what? He tells him the same thing two more times. This is huge. For us, it might not seem that crazy or that out of place, out of pocket, but this is huge. This is intense for Peter. And so right now his mind is blown simply on the dietary stuff. 
You know, he doesn't yet know where this is going, and we're getting into that in just a second. But he's already thinking, my whole paradigm has shifted in just a matter of moments for a couple of thousand years of having this ingrained in our people. Don't eat barbecue. That's right. Okay. I'm going to pause and, and give you this little thing real quick. I know Raleigh is an area where people move in from all over the country and all over the world. I'm going to teach you a lesson about North Carolina. If you are going to someone's house and you are going to, they're going to cook on a grill and they're going to make barbecue, uh, they're going to make hamburgers and hot dogs, do not say you're going to a barbecue. Don't say that to anybody from North Carolina. Barbecue is pork that is chopped up and cooked with a vinegar-based sauce. That's barbecue. It is not an act. It is a thing. All right? Just so y'all know. This is North Carolina. I know that might be confusing to you, but I, and I'll talk to you about it later if you want to know more. But don't say I'm going to a barbecue. You can say I'm going to eat barbecue, but I, don't say I'm going to a barbecue. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll quit wasting time. That's just being silly. A few of y'all get it and are giving me a little courtesy. I appreciate that. All right, but here's the thing. They could not eat pork, so this has blown his mind. It's just, just on the dietary stuff alone. We don't understand how deep this goes, but for him it's huge. But wait, there's more. Because here's what goes on. Look in verse uh, 28. So God didn't connect the dots. God has already got in his mind. He's like, this isn't just about food. This is about food, but it's not just about food. But God doesn't connect the dots for him. And I, I want you to understand this really quickly here. Many times we want things to be just laid out perfectly clear for us. But what's one of the things that God teaches us all throughout the Bible is that he rewards those who do what? There's a, a particular word I'm thinking about. I don't know if it'll come to your mind. But those who earnestly seek him. It's never been about being easy to find out what God wants. Because when it's easy, do we ever appreciate it? We take it for granted. And so God doesn't often connect every single dot for us. He wants to seek him in faith. And faith involves a little bit of unknown. It involves a little bit of fear, a little bit of uncertainty. And so he wants us to seek him with all of our heart. Not just He doesn't just want to spoon feed us. He wants us to search after him. Because this world makes everything, all your pleasure, all your desires, very what? Easy but it will lead you to death. Am I right? And so God never necessarily makes it very easy for us to follow him. So he doesn't connect the dots, but pick up in verse 28. And he said to them, these people that appeared at his door, you yourselves know that it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, and yet God has shown me that I am not to call any person unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for, so I asked for what reason did you send for me? And so Peter goes with these guys that are sent by Cornelius as God commanded him, and he quickly makes the dots, you know, we uh, connects the dots. We joke about Peter just being, you know, uneducated at times, but he got this lesson really quickly. He's like, okay, these Gentile guys show up the moment after this vision appears, and man, I hear what they've sent me for. I want to know exactly what they want to know now. Look at verse 34. Once he understands, and Cornelius relays what all he and his Gentile people want to hear. The angel had appeared to him and told him to send for Peter. He's got words to, for you to hear from his mouth. And so here's what Peter responds once he hears that. Verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, 
I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Out, excuse me, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, he goes on and preaches this, this long sermon. And while he's still speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And then he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So he hears what they were told, what God told Cornelius in this vision. Once he hears that, he sees this great, uh, excuse me, whoo, I'm getting excited. This great crowd of Gentiles that are gathered there and he's like okay I thought the whole being able to eat pork was a big deal this is next level and he starts off what becomes this really powerful sermon but fairly brief with saying I understand that God does not play favorites he does not show partiality. He does not show favoritism toward anybody else. But there's one thing that I want us to dig into for just a second that I think is just as important before we get into that whole no favoritism thing. The first thing is this. Good isn't good enough. Good isn't good enough. Now, we see this straight from the text here in Acts chapter 10. And last week, I don't know if you were here or you, you heard the message, but we talked about that in our society, in our world, that many times that a lot of people think of the highest virtue that you can have is just being sincere, right? You, know, you think that's fair? It's probably at least top five, top 10. People say, well, as long as you sincerely believe what you believe, it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> False. Because you can believe a lot of wrong stuff. And so that's not the highest virtue that we need to be thinking about. And because of that, because people believe sincerity is so important to the, you know, no matter what truth is, they also think that just being good is good enough. Many people believe that being good enough is all it takes to spend eternity in heaven with God. Is that, oh, you just be a good person. The problem is, is that our standards of good vary greatly, don't they? And somebody can think, well, as long as you just don't murder someone, you know, you're, you're pretty good. You can, st you can sleep with somebody else's spouse, and, you know, as long as that's, you find, that's your soulmate, right? That, that's okay. And, and people have different varying levels of what is good or what is not. And so we've got to understand that being good isn't good enough. It, it tells us very clearly, Romans chapter 3, uh, sorry, this is not going to be on the screen, but Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is that, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody sins. Everybody is guilty. And then Romans 6, 23 says that uh, the wages of sin is what? Death. And so if everybody has sinned without Jesus in their life, everybody deserves what? Death. Everybody. Nobody is good enough. It doesn't matter how much you compare yourself to your neighbor or the really bad guy or girl on the news. It doesn't matter what you compare to anybody else. It's how do you measure up with your relationship with God? Am I good enough? The answer is what? No. 
They're not. No one is without Jesus. And why is this important with this text? Because Luke says that Cornelius was devout. Luke is the author of the, the book of Acts, is inspired by God. But it says he was devout. He feared God. He gave and he prayed continually. Look back there at chapter 10, verse 1. It says this man named, uh, in Caesarea named Cornelius, centurion, go on verse 2. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and made many charitable contributions to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. How many of us could honestly raise our hand and say, I pray to God continually? Some of us could. But a lot of us couldn't. There, I, I don't pray continually like I should. But it says that he did, right? He, con, he prayed continually. He gave of his money. He was just a devout, devout man. But there's still an issue. Then you look at verse uh, 22. His people who were sent to Peter, they describe him as righteous, God-fearing, and well thought of. Look there in verse 22. They said, Cornelius, the centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. That's saying something. If all the Jewish people thought that this Roman centurion, remember what we said earlier? If they thought this Roman centurion was a really, really good guy, he must be a good guy. And then if it's not enough, if that doesn't convince you, God, through one of his angels, tells Cornelius that his prayers were heard, his financial gifts were remembered. Look at verse 31. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your charitable gifts have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to, to Peter and get him to come. Because here's what it says in verse uh, 33. So I sent men to you immediately. And you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear everything that you have been commanded by the Lord. And here's where it gets really crystal clear. With all that that's been said, all right, think back in your mind with me, okay? Luke said really good things about him. He was a devout, righteous person, right? Then his, uh, his own people said he was a really good person. And then God said he was a really good person through his angel, right? That's, the angels only speak what God tells them to speak. Those three big evidences for this guy being a really good person. But look what we find in Acts chapter 11. This is one chapter over. Peter is telling his account of what happens in chapter 10. Verse 14, and it says, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So what do we find out about Cornelius prior to chapter 10? No matter how good he was, what? He still was not, he wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. His goodness, he gave money, he gave time, it sounds like. He prayed continually, but he was not saved. He still needed salvation. And so what we've got to understand is this. No matter how good or bad you are, you still need salvation. I still need salvation without Jesus. It doesn't matter. I, I cannot say it enough. It doesn't matter how good or bad we are. Now, I, I pause on that for just a quick second, okay? Everybody listen really quick, all right? We, most of us can nod and say, yep, that's right. That's right. It doesn't matter how good you are. But then we want to make exceptions for everybody. And a lot of times, and I've been guilty of this too, I want to make exceptions for people about not sharing the gospel with them because I'm afraid to share the gospel with them. And so I'm just saying, well, I hope good enough's good enough. But what does God spend so much time telling us? Good enough is what? Not good enough. 
Because one sin can separate you from God from all eternity. It doesn't matter how big or how small we think that sin is. But on the opposite side, the good news in that is, is that it doesn't matter how bad you think you are. A lot of people never come to Christ because they think, I'm just too bad. I'm too screwed up. I've messed up one too many times. You just don't know. God can forgive and will forgive anybody. Anybody. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you think you are. He will forgive. And we've got to wrap our minds around that. Good enough is not good enough. Now, don't get me wrong. Being a good person is a good thing. We need more good people in this world. Am I right? We need more of them, but being good won't get your sin forgiven and it won't get you into heaven. And so if you want to think about it this way, I want you to store, if you don't store away anything else, store this away really quick. This is our obstacle that we find. We're all lost no matter how good. So if you just want to remember the word obstacle, obstacle, because I'm going to try to help us see. A couple of weeks ago, we shared some similar ways to kind of help share our faith. Because it's an intimidating thing. But one of the things that you're going to see about the book of Acts is, is that the church is absolutely called to do what? Do what Jesus said in Matthew 28. His last words before leaving earth. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey what? Everything. And so our obstacle for all of us is that we have sin. And good enough is what? Not good enough. And so that's our obstacle. So store that in your brain. Our obstacle that we have to communicate with people is that sin separates us from God. But there's good news, right? There's good news. There's good news. Just like the day of Pentecost, if you were here for the first couple of sermons in this, this uh, series, just like the day of Pentecost, he delivered this scathing message, you killed the Son of God, but there's good news. And here's the next thing. God's grace is for everyone. God's grace is for everyone. Most of us, there again, we would say, yep, that's right. But like we also talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Acts chapter 8, we kind of can tend to be gatekeepers sometimes, right? And we only want to share our faith with people who we feel safe around. But we're called to go into unusual and unknown situations and share the gospel at any time. And like I said, I don't want you to get caught up on the idea of, you know, I'm, not, I'm afraid of going into a place where people have guns and they might shoot me for telling them about Jesus. I'm just talking about the things to start off with that we just feel scared about or un, we just don't want to be rejected by someone or we don't want to break a relationship because we tell them, oh, you're lost and they're going to get offended. They're going to turn their back on me. Even those things are scary and those keep us what? Closed mouth. But we know this truth that God's grace is for everyone, for Jews, for Gentiles, all races, all nations. And Peter opens his message to Cornelius and all those Gentiles gathered there. And it's something that we need to make sure that we are living where it says there again in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Isn't that good news? There's no favoritism. 
It doesn't matter what your skin color looks like. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what your present looks like. Is that anybody and everybody can come to Jesus. And, and that's one of the things that we have talked about before our church ever, ever had its first service, which we're celebrating on October 22nd, six years. Make sure you're here. We've got plans. Cancel it. But even before, I had to do it. Even before we ever had our first service, we said very clearly that we, and we're going to read the scripture here in just a minute, but that heaven is going to be a place that is, has people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every skin tone. Heaven's going to be full with people that all look so different, but all are welcome because of the grace of Jesus. And we said, if that's what heaven's going to look like, that's what our church should look like. And another level, if you need more convincing, is that that's what the community looks like. There are people from all different walks of life and all different scenarios and all different situations and all different backgrounds. And if that's what the community looks like, that's what our church needs to look like. And praise God, it does. And I hope it continues to look more and more like that. Because we want everybody to have the opportunity to know Jesus as Lord. Amen? We want them to know that the good news, God's grace, is for everyone. He really only gives two conditions. He says those who fear God. You know, I think a good way to understand that is, is yes, there needs to be some actual fear. You know, if you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about falling into the hands of a God who is very real and sincere about you finding the truth and obeying the truth. But even more so, it's this idea of, are you really seeking to obey God and recognize your lostness without Jesus? And then he says, also do those who do what is right. And that's an interesting word. And, and Strong's Greek lexicon gives it a definition like this. The doctrine or teaching, that's all doctrine means is teaching. The teaching concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved by God. And so we need to seek after how we can be approved by God. Who gets to determine how we're approved by God? God does. Nobody else. How do we seek after that? That's who does what is right, who wants to be righteous and finds out what God said makes someone righteous. I, I like to think of it this way, coming to God on God's terms. That's, that's what we want to do is to seek how to be righteous is to go, come to God on his terms. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the grace of God. It doesn't matter how good or bad we are. We're saved by grace, not because we're good, but because God is good. God is good. And for that reason, grace and salvation are for everyone. And as I mentioned earlier, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And that's what we want to spread that message. And so the first thing I said was that was our, what was the O word? Obstacle. Obstacle. This one is our opportunity to make the earth look like heaven. That's our opportunity, guys, is the fact that God, nobody's good enough, but the gospel's for everybody, that grace is for everybody. And so this is our opportunity. It might seem like a problem, but it's really an opportunity is to make the church, to make earth look like heaven by getting as many people in the kingdom as possible. And then the last thing is this that we learn. 
The gospel is essential. A lot of times, people want to focus on this passage of scripture and they want to focus on the speaking in tongues. And that's valuable. It's important. It was a huge, huge thing for these Gentiles to have the Holy Spirit poured out on them and then to start speaking in other languages. Just like what day? Day of Pentecost. When the church began, the the apostles came out speaking in other languages so people could hear them. And remember we talked about that? The reason the apostles did that was so that everybody would look and what? Listen. And we talked about then that the speaking in tongues was important, but it was not the main thing, right? And the same thing is true here. They are, it was not the main thing, but it's important. But a lot of times we want to focus on the minor things instead of what's major. Do you know that many times this Acts chapter 10 is called the Gentile Pentecost? Because it was the first coming to Christ of Gentile people that we see in any numbers. And so just like the church began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, a lot of people say that this is the Gentile Pentecost. And this is the most important thing because the, the, the gift of speaking in tongues at that moment was so that they could know that they were able to hear the message of salvation and be welcomed in, right? Because I want you to, to put this into perspective. Remember, put yourself in the the perspective of a Jewish person. For a couple of thousand years, you've been told, Gentiles are bad. Stay separate from them. Don't even, okay, it was so intense. God even said, don't have mixed cloth clothes. Don't, they didn't have polyester back then, but I don't know many other fabrics, so forgive me. But don't have a cotton and polyester blend shirt. Why? That's weird. It's, it's weird. But he was trying to get them to understand that they needed to be what? Separate. You should not mix or mingle with the Gentiles. But now he has showed them once and for all that they should accept everybody, no matter how different they are from them, accept them. This is a mind-boggling situation, and it changes everything. And so the preaching of the gospel and obedience to the gospel was the most important part of what we see in Acts chapter 10. The gift of tongues to them was important. It was important, hear me. But it was just so that the Jewish Christians could say, oh, they can be like us. They got the same power at that moment as the apostles did. The leaders of the church were able to speak in tongues. They got the gift of tongues. And here's why this is important. Because we said the gospel is essential. It's important to know this. Peter asked a question once they start speaking in tongues. And everybody there, the Jewish Christians there are like, oh, they can be Christians too? God doesn't hate them? God wants to accept them? He says, ask this question, verse 46. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then asked, they asked him to stay on for a few days. What we have to focus on here is baptism was still the point of entry into the kingdom of God. It was still the point of entry. And I believe it's important to talk about this. And, you know, there are people who have differing views on baptism. But I would just caution you and I would just challenge you to say this. 
Go to what God's word says about baptism, not what anybody else says, okay? And that's what we're trying to do. If you go through, you'll notice as we go through the book of Acts, when the conversions are talked about on any level, one factor we always see mentioned in there is what? Baptism into Christ. The very first time on the day of Pentecost, and then here again, and every other time that we've, we've shared, it's been mentioning them being baptized. And I point this out because many times in our culture, in our modern world today, people would say, well, if you have some sort of Holy Spirit experience like that, then that means that you are saved. But here's what I want you to say. Peter said, oh, but here, look, they need to be baptized into Christ just like on the day of Pentecost. They still needed to be entered into the kingdom of God. And here's why it's really, really important. And forgive me if you feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but this is so key, this is so important, okay? It's so important because you can't be in the kingdom of God with your sin on you. You can't be guilty of sin and be in the kingdom of God. And that's hard for us to understand because we're like, well, I was baptized, but I still sin. Yeah, but God doesn't hold your sin against you when you've been baptized into Christ. As it said on the day of Pentecost, for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you're no longer guilty. You're no longer bound. And so you can't have your sin on you and be in the kingdom of God. You can be a follower of God. You can be a lover of God. You can be an amazing person. But if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you have to be washed clean, as it says. So no matter how good or bad you think you are, no matter who you are, the gospel is for you, and it's literally life and death. The Apostle Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Because the Roman church was trying to justify their sinful lifestyle. And they said, so we should just go ahead and sin. If grace covers over sin, we should just go ahead and sin. That way there's plenty of sin for the grace to be worth something. Jesus didn't have to die for nothing. He went to the cross, so I'm going to go and sin. And he says here in verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? All right, so we who died to sin. Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? What's the Apostle Paul saying? When do we die, when do we die to our sin? When we're baptized into Christ, into his death. Verse 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. So we're not only dying to sin, good news is what? He doesn't ever, you know, sometimes I, I baptize some people that were much taller and bigger than me, and so I always tell them, said, I'm going to do my best to get you up. So far, I'm batting a thousand, but if you're going to go somewhere, that's a good place to go, right? You're like, baptize your name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you, Jesus, what are you doing here? <laughs> Jesus, you came to my baptism. Hey, okay, whatever. But that's the good news, right? That's the good news is that he doesn't leave you dead, does he? What does it say right here in verse 5? For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing that this, our old self, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer would be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is freed from sin. Now here's where it really makes it clear. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So you're buried with Christ in baptism and you die to your sin. Praise God. But then he raises you up to a new life and you have this new life. And as it said in Acts chapter 2, you have the Holy Spirit. This is for everybody. Everybody can be free. It doesn't matter where you, you came from. It doesn't matter what you grew up like. It doesn't matter the sins you've committed. It doesn't matter the sins that you're wrestling with right now. But you can be free and you can be buried with Christ and raised to a new life. And so we've talked about those O words. This is our obstacle, right? Nobody's good enough. This is our opportunity. The gospel's for everybody. And here's the third one. This is our offer. This is our offer. We've got to share with people the offer of salvation, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago about giving people a chance to respond. Because I, I'll, I'll be honest, when you are talking with somebody or you're just having a conversation and you're thinking, okay, I need to talk to them about Jesus. Where do I start? Well, the first thing you do is you pray, but then you look for an opportunity to talk about the obstacle that we have of our sin. And then you look for an opportunity to share this good news with them. And then you give them the opportunity to hear the offer of salvation, that no one's good enough, that anyone can be free and you get freedom in Christ at baptism. You're free when you die to your sin at baptism because of your faith in Christ, because of your repentance, because of your confessing him as Christ and Lord. And you're raised to a new life with him there. You've got an obstacle. You've got an opportunity. And there's an offer. But the question is, have you accepted the offer? Have you accepted the offer of salvation? Whatever's been keeping you, whatever you view that obstacle as, I hope and pray that you realize that today there's no obstacle that's too, too big or too wide or too far. And I hope and pray that you understand today that you have the opportunity to obey the gospel because the gospel's for everybody. It doesn't matter who your grandmama or your granddaddy was or your mom or your dad or what you knew or didn't know when you came in here. If you hear that I'm separated from God because of my sin and I hear now that Jesus wants to, me to be free and wants me to be in his family, then you've got the offer of salvation and it's open to you. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and you're willing to turn away from your old life and just run to him, calling on his name, confessing his name as king of kings and lord of lords, you can meet him in the watery grave of baptism where he will forgive your sin and he will raise you up to walk in a new life with the Holy Spirit inside of you. So today, maybe that's your response to the offer. But maybe also, it's time for you to start taking this offer out to the people around you. Let them know the obstacle. Let them know the opportunity. And let them hear the offer. Whatever you have to do today, let's do it quickly. Let's stand let's sing. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movement.com. 
movementinchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.